This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on a special International Women's Day podcast. Starting with the ladies behind Generation Makers, helping new mothers. And we were asking you what you wish you knew before becoming a parent. Why do girls use negative self-talk and what can the repercussions be? We asked Dr. Simon Rana from GEMS Education. Morefield's explaining why women suffer with more eye diseases than men and taking your questions too. We were joined by Dr. Madonna from Maudsley Health, Mental Health in Women. Why is it so frequently diminished from PMT to menopause? And when do you need medication? Finding out about a new dog-friendly festival and the founders of Tummy Run Hand to answer your pet questions on agility, training and more. Let me know your thoughts on this. What do you wish you'd known before having kids? It's a lot for me. It is an awful, awful lot. I'd love to get your take on this because I've had so many messages on this and some of you asking for help as well. Now, being a parent is no easy feat. We all need support. For most of us, we've most likely left our families at home, so we need a support system. Sometimes that's friends. Sometimes friends don't have the knowledge or expertise that we need. So one woman here in the UAE has created a platform to help mothers along that journey. It's called Generation Makers. She joins us now with one of the coaches. Uh, Sarah Beaker is with us, the founder of A Life Beyond Motherhood and the founder, Rana Sardin, with us this afternoon. Thank you so much. Um, we were just saying off air what we... What we wish we'd known, Rana. So I think that's really at the, at the crux of what this is all about. Tell us a little bit about your reasons behind starting the Academy. Thank you, Helen. Thank you so much. Um, well, I wish I knew so much mm-hmm. before I get to be a mom. And uh, my story started from being a mom at a very early age, at 23. Wow. It's um, I, all I thought was mom being enjoying the cuddles. <laughs> changing diapers (laughs) and feeding a baby. Um, Didn't expect to know that there's a lot going on, especially the emotional part. Mm -hmm. Um, So the biggest thing for me was the um, postnatal depression, the ongoing challenges that a mom goes through and how much of information that you end up having to look for. Yes. And learn about. (laughs) Oh, the late night scrolling. Yeah, Uh, that was... That was the, the 3 a.m. Feeling, feeling lonely, looking for answers. Exactly. And <laughs> the fussy eating. Oh, yeah. How do I feed my children? And don't get me wrong, I've got three children. The, earl- the eldest is 15 years old and the youngest is two years old. And I still couldn't crack it. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. They change these kids. This, yeah. is, this is the thing. You think you've cracked it and then there's another stage or another leap or they change their minds. And, <laughs> you know, we, are, we learn every single day and uh, we've always there's never been more information ever no but finding the right information is is really really hard and for me feeling strong enough to ask for help was a really big barrier when I was a new mum and I struggled with postnatal depression after my second um and I'm grateful it was with my second because I kind of knew that something wasn't right and I did have the confidence then to kind of reach out for help and I'm very fortunate and I've been here a long time and through the show and through you know knowing people I knew some of the some really good resources but other people aren't that fortunate or that privileged and so tell us a little bit about what role this academy for want of a better phrase is is kind of shining the light on Rana so the most important thing that as I said is 
the frustration of having information and learning, and I wish I knew before that kind of question. Mm -hmm. So so the Academy is an education platform that brings in all the knowledge that a mom might need throughout her journey, basically from the, from the minute she starts or before even being a mother. Um, and it brings in the information and all the knowledge and the support from experts, female verified experts, into one place. And we talk about things related to mothers as a woman, self-love, how do we care for ourselves, mental, physical well-being, parenting, how to take care of our children, and even at our careers as well, because we were women and we became moms. So remember the, the, the day you went back to work after having your first baby, oh, yeah. the whole world changes in front of you and you mm -hmm. see different things in, in a different eye. Mm -hmm. So all of that is the academy, basically. Yeah. Oh, where were you eight years ago? Um, a number of messages talking about what we'd wish we'd known before having children. No name saying being calm keeps the baby calm. Yes. I think that kind of, you know, anxiety spreads is very, very true. Salvador saying, I wish I'd completed my world tour with my wife hassle free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would have traveled more having having now traveled with, especially in those early days where you're traveling with the nappies and the, you know, the bottles and the sterilizer and yes. the formula. And, the, uh, and you're like, I'm not I'm not moving countries. I'm just going away for a week. It just it just looks like it. Um, Huda saying, I wish I'd known that breastfeeding is a full time job in capitals. True. For those parents who choose to or have the physical ability to provide breast milk to their baby, you need to be breastfeeding or pumping about every two hours. Simon, thank you for this and raising this from um, the man's point of view. And Salvador, great to have you with us too. Um, I wish I'd understand a little more about the strain it puts on a relationship. Also, sleep deprivation is real. It certainly is. I wish I'd known just how much it would change me. Mm -hmm. I, I think yes. I think I'd thought much like you, Anna, about that day to day, the practicality of I'm going to change nappies and I'm going to be making my, mm -hmm. my bottles. <laughs> I hadn't thought about how it would change how I felt about myself and how I viewed the world. I, I, I think and we're going to be talking about mental health um, in, in women later in the show today. But I wish I'd known that I it would change me on like a visceral, almost cellular level about how I how I viewed everything, and I I certainly wasn't prepared for that in the, in in, a, in an amazing way, but also in quite a scary way. You know that kind of the vulnerability I think we have as parents. Yes, you know it's such a kind of classic trope in movies, isn't it? About you know you get manipulated, you know, oh, you know, do this or we'll hurt your children. And, you know, we see this all the time. And now that I think when you have kids, you go, well, yeah, I understand why someone would be manipulated yeah. into that because I would do anything for my kids. And we have to think perhaps we don't, we don't, we've gotten, you've, and you can't, you can't ever expect to know that before you have children. You just can't. You can never. You can never. <laughs> Talking parenthood and what we wish we'd known before having kids with a woman who's aiming to educate new mothers. In fact, well, mothers of all ages, really, about the logistics, the emotional side of parenthood. Joining us live is Rana Thadine, joining us from the fantastic Generation Makers. Also, one of the coaches that she's working with, Sarah Beaker, is with us today. She's the founder of A Life Beyond Motherhood. And we're asking that to you. What do you wish you'd known before having children. Sarah, tell us a little bit about your work as a positive psychology coach and some of the workshops you're offering through the platform. Mm -hmm. So 
just I was nodding along earlier, Helen, and as you were saying how you just don't know how much you're going to change. Mm. Um, and that is the case for every single woman that I speak to, you know, to varying degrees on the spectrum. But a big one that changes is your identity. And that's one that I speak on so often that if we knew beforehand that things were going to change internally, not only how we view the world, as you said so beautifully, but how we view ourselves, mm -hmm. then things I'm not going to say would be easier necessarily, but clearer. I think so. I you'd think, be able I, to accept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think we go into parenthood with these kind of preconceptions and mine was like, oh, you know, I'm going to love every aspect of it. Or, oh, I wish I'd, I wish I'd just been a bit more forgiving with myself mm -hmm. about things like, you know, not being able to breastfeed and understanding yeah, that that wasn't a failure. Yeah. That didn't make me a bad mum. And I think a lot of people who perhaps struggle to bond with their babies, which happens mm. far more commonly than we realise, doesn't mean that they're, you know, failing as a, as a mother. It doesn't mean yeah. they haven't got that maternal instinct. But I think the more open conversations we have around things yeah. like that, then we have, have, you know, a lot more kind of compassion towards mm. ourselves. 100%. So identity is a really big one. Yeah. What else? Yeah. So you, actually, you touched on something else there um, is this whole thing idea of being a good mum or a bad mum. Mm -hmm. um, and so a big part of my mission through these workshops is just to open people's eyes to that actually doesn't exist. Um, and it's, it's you know, we talk about motherhood and my, the title, A Life Beyond Motherhood, is to help people understand that motherhood is a social construct. It's not actually real. Um, and it's bound by these rules that tell you, well, this is what you should do. And anyone will tell you that that's one of my least favorite words, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to mothers, because should then puts that pressure on you. So and it's quite contradictory as well. So you should breastfeed, but then you should also formula feed so you can have a life and you should homeschool, but you should also send them to like the biggest poshest schools as well mm -hmm. and so what happens is that we end up policing each other and going she's a bad mum because she's not doing this mm -hmm. and then we police ourselves and going well I must be a bad mum because I didn't do what so and so said I should be doing or what everyone else should be doing isn't it funny that you we it's it starts so early whether it's in pregnancy or but yes. like all that kind of seeking validation mm -hmm. the whole time and I, I noticed it quite early on about things like we you know what stroller have you got Oh. Um, or like what, nurse, what, what nursery are you sending yeah. them to and often all you and I do it I do it now I saw it on a, on a Facebook group just yesterday saying we're moving to Dubai we've got kids aged so and so and so and so which school would you recommend that's blah 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 and I find myself scrolling mm. through the comments looking for my kids school so I then would feel mm. validated in my decision yeah. and that's a school that I absolutely love and I don't need the validation of some rando on Facebook but when you're feeling so insecure mm -hmm. about your choices whether that is feeding or education or whatever it's 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 a really you find yourself on really shaky ground and yeah. um, a message that's come in at the absolute perfect time saying i wish i'd known to trust my instincts mm -hmm. rather than google everything and feel overwhelmed also learning to ignore advice by women who offered it because i ended up trying to do it all and felt useless because i wasn't able to manage it all so well said leonie saying on 4001 i wish i'd known there are no medals for drug-free labor and delivery <laughs> Parents who get an epidural, give birth via cesarean or didn't carry their child don't lose parenting points for how their child mm -hmm. arrives in the world. Mm -hmm. And that is so well said because I think a lot of people carry a huge amount of guilt and grief 
because of, of because of that mm-hmm. and it's nonsense um no name saying wish i'd known at least 50 percent of a kid's personality is just innate i read all the books because my oldest wouldn't sleep eat stop screaming behave etc then i had my second who immediately ate slept and was literally <laughs> always happy each kid is different and you don't yeah, need to beat yeah. yourself up about it especially if your first is the hardest yeah so true, true. we should write a book guys we should <laughs> yeah. write we should all these messages are amazing um rana tell us about some of the other courses and experts that people can access through uh, through the platform so uh, at the moment in the ex- in the academy we've got around 11 experts um, from different uh, fields we've got the psychology uh, we've got the career side we've got the parenting childbirth educator mm-hmm. um, uh, we've got a pediatric as well um, and we've got um, uh, the the he- the mind and body connection, the mental health well being si- side of it and as ha- well. And how do you access it all? Because I mean, just by having you know a quick chat with you guys, I'm like, it's pretty busy when you're a new mum, yes. um, or indeed dad. Um, so how how does it work in terms of getting um, on that platform and fitting it around everything else? So so exactly what you said is, I'm also a busy mum. A really busy one. Everyone's been. <laughs> Every <laughs> you know? parent is busy. Exactly. Um, so I made the platform around that, that it's majority of the classes are virtual online. Um, although they are live done by the experts, however, we record them and we put them in a library on the platform. So any mother that subscribes to the platform becomes a member of this academy, have access to them at any time. Whether they come in new or or they have been there before, they still have access to the whole library with downloadable resources. And that's so key, isn't it? Because something that might have gone live might not be relevant to you at that moment. But in two months time, you're like, oh, my goodness, where is that bit of information, that Mm -hmm. that expert when I need them? Um, I've had a number of messages asking how to how to find it is thegenerationmakers.com. Rana, thank you so much for coming in, Sarah. Always an absolute pleasure to chat. And if you want the website, just send me the word parent and I will send it your way. Happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Lovely ladies and and indeed too. Marking International Women's Day, the theme is embracing equity um, and it's about empowering, supporting women, starting conversations, raising awareness. So many girls, young women, uh, us grown women, still feeling unworthy and have negative self-talk about ourselves, how we look, our weight, our age, our abilities, whatever it is. I think we all have our those little hang-ups or big hang-ups and we can be very hard on ourselves. So how do we change this? How do we look at ourselves in a more realistic, more positive light? and also raise our children to do the same. Joining us now is the Chief Education Officer at GEMS Education, Dr. Simon Rana. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today and happy International Women's Day. Um, We are exploring with you the impact of negative self-talk on girls and women because this isn't something that, you know, sadly we grow out of. Um, Do you think females do this more than men? Good afternoon, Helen. Yes, I'm sorry you couldn't hear me at the start. Um, happy International Women's Day and happy Holy to you. So do you think this is something women do more than men, the negative self-talk? Yes, it is. Women often talk about themselves, um, focusing on their uh, negative attributes rather than the positive attributes in greater numbers than their male counterparts might. Um, it's not necessarily a hard and fast absolute, but in studies recently, women report greater repetitive negative thinking, and it's called RNT, when compared to their male counterparts. Um, they, they often find um, themselves criticizing themselves at least 1,460 times per year on average. I thought we were um, going to say I mean, per day, lot, and I was like, that um, sounds familiar. <laughs> 
yeah I mean that's nearly four times every day Helen that's nearly four times every day uh, I, I mean th- you I know think that's uh, conservative resulting... I think that's really conservative and I think about what goes through my head on a daily basis four times a day negative self-talk I honestly think most women would have considerably more than that which is but pretty worrying that the, that the numbers are conservative. What are some of the things that uh, girls and women are judging themselves on? What, what are, are there any themes that have emerged? I mean, I think it depends. It depends on um, your age, your uh, background, your social context, um, where you live. I think it just depends. But at the moment, it's it's a lot to do with the way in which we look. Mm-hmm. Um, younger children, ladies, um, women, it's the way we look. And I think it's about... One of the things that was really important in our campaign was to ensure that women were comfortable and confident looking at themselves um, in the mirror, because I think that's where a lot of negative talk is coming from. Mm-hmm. What about extending into, if not academics, and certainly the professional space, um, when we look at I don't know, applying for jobs or in interview settings? You know, is there any data around that? I mean, you know, results from recent surveys have found that nearly, I think it's about 50% of women believe self-advocating would have advanced their careers. Um, That just demonstrates um, the gender inequality um, when it comes to uh, equity of access to to jobs out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really, really important that we do identify, acknowledge, and then think hard about how we can remove this barrier. Let's talk about removing the self-talk, if not all together, but certainly acknowledging it and teaching our our daughters, the young women in our lives to, you know, back themselves a little bit more. What are some of the um, advice that you're passing on to GEM students um, in order to overcome this very, very common problem? So championing girls in education and in fact helping them to embrace their skills and characteristics to reach their absolute full potential within schooling and education but also beyond is a real key part of our values at GEMS Education across all of our schools. Um, At GEMS World Academy, for example, engendering a sense of real global citizenship is such a central tenet of our approach to educating our students. As a result, our International Women's Day campaign, for example, always involves both boys and girls. Uh, Men are absolutely crucial to achieving the objectives of um, women feeling worthy and women feeling equal. Um, I think it's also uh, educating through the non-celebratory um, days as well. So uh, offering opportunities, access, equal access to opportunities for both uh, girls and boys and men and women in the workplace is incredibly important as well. Coming back to the negative self-talk, how can how are you working with young people to raise awareness around this and really give them an understanding of how serious this can be? I think one of the things we're wanting to do is actually as you said earlier, identify and acknowledge that this is a problem and it is a very serious problem. Um, you know, it's it's a really interesting thing when we talk to young ladies and, and uh, our female colleagues, that there's a real difference that needs to be identified between being arrogant mm-hmm. or boasting about one's abilities and being able to identify our strengths and advocate for ourselves. You know, being our, our own biggest allies is, I think, the first step. Um, towards ensuring that we do educate each other and ourselves, but also remove these uh, barriers. Whilst there are still unconscious biases um, that exist around us all over the the world, women potentially contribute to um, sort of self 
um, negative self-talk of ourselves more so than anyone else. And I think that's a real, real problem. I was on a panel this morning, um, earlier today, with uh, Rana Nawas, an amazing advocate around diversity, equity and inclusion. And we were having a discussion about how unfortunately self-promotion lands a bit differently when it comes from a man and when it comes from a woman and it shouldn't but it does so I was putting to her what can we do to overcome this how can we make sure that young women and indeed women of all ages are if not their own advocates but certainly that they are celebrated um, equally and the the big kind of takeaway that I took from that was speak up for others you know if someone has an amazing accomplishment say that so for you know in thinking about a work setting here if I'm talking about you know I heard Brandy this morning and she did a great job of speaking to so and so and acknowledging that to people higher up so I, I, I love this idea of I guess championing other women openly and hope it comes back to you and that people are doing the same for you um, so I, I think that was that was one of my kind of big takeaways really on how can we make sure that we are if not our own advocate but we're certainly advocating for other females in our lives and what about that kind of importance of if not diversity then certainly representation about you know you can't be it until you see it how how do you think that comes into play when it's about young girls you know school-age girls going into male-dominated industries or having the confidence to progress their careers Absolutely, Helen. That's such a great point. This morning we were uh, invited 21 uh, inspirational females uh, from across our network were invited to our founders um, house home for breakfast. Mr. Sunny Varkey invited us. And it was one of the things we were talking about. How do we uh, present ourselves as leaders, um, as female role models to our younger students and our counterparts? Mm-hmm. And it's a really difficult actually thing to do because mm-hmm. I find it myself difficult Me to too. self-promote. <laughs> um, you know, there is, I absolutely do. Absolutely. I was just speaking to someone earlier and they said to me, how do you react when somebody says your hair looks nice or, or that was a great presentation? or gosh that was a great um, a piece of work that you've done I I would I will never say thank you I would always say something along the lines of oh no I could have done better oh no you know I yes I understand or it doesn't really fit me well or whatever <laughs> I'll never just say thank you and stop and I think you're absolutely right um you know, we have to be seen to be able to be so confident and this is what gems education is doing I believe very well creating that sense of security within all of our children so that they feel incredibly confident about their skill sets Mm. and the areas for development, because that's quite right to be able to acknowledge that there are areas where all of us can uh, improve. And I think that's where the expressive arts for for us and the sports plays a real key part. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to sing and and dance and and speak with with each other and debate and so on, it it allows you to create a sense of confidence and a, a a sense of belonging in your context. And I think it's really important for women to learn to celebrate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes um, we underestimate the power of being able to be each other's great ally as well. I mean, it's great to have men around and, and men celebrate us, why not? But women, you know, in my experience, I have found it not necessarily um, uh, the thing that happens um, generally where women celebrate each other and uh, promote each other. And I think we've, we've got to get better at that. And I really like that you brought that up today. And I think, you know, negative self-talk and lacking the ability to self-advocate 
it, it will affect us all our lives, not just in one sphere, not just in education. It'll affect us in our home lives, in oh, our school lives, absolutely. in our work lives. And absolutely. And I think it's just so crucial, so crucial that all of us understand, men as well, boys as well, the importance and the damaging impact that a negative self-talk can create. And that's why our campaign this year it highlights um, recognizing and contextualizing and preventing negative self-talk and self-criticism. And as a consequence, you know, mounting insecurity among young girls is so, so crucial in helping flourish academically, socially and, and personally. And what's really interesting, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to watch the video, but it was so brilliant and so brave of those young uh, girls and boys to take part in that video. And I really do applaud them because it's necessary and it's important to push the boundaries and show people the damaging impact of negative self-talk. Uh, but a number of ladies, girls, young girls came back and said, actually, it was really interesting, um, said, actually, I, I look too big in that video. My hair oh, doesn't look gosh. right in that video. And it, can you imagine? Um, and so the nuance and the discourse of that video being put together and, and the impact of it. So there's a lot of work to be done still. So much there work is, to but be I, done. But I think even raising this topic now of, you know, just how many negative, you know, thoughts we have each day. Um, hopefully people listening will go, OK, that's that's me. And I can recognise that and I can say, is this true? Um, is it something I can change? Is it something I want to change? And having that awareness around it is absolutely crucial. Well, thank you, Dr. Simon. Really appreciate your time. Your hair looks fabulous for what it's worth on Teams right now. And if thank you, you so much, Helen. Good. Thank so, you so much, Just Helen. say thank you. And then and then that's 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 going to be the goal. We're just going to accept compliments and pay them forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Simon. Rao, there speaking to us, Chief Education Officer at GEMS Education. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. I care for you and your children. More fields, driven by your vision. Research indicates that women are at greater risk than men for many eye diseases. And leading ophthalmologists at Moorfield Eye Hospital Dubai are urging us women to make an eye health appointment and make it a top priority as a key message this International Women's Day. Joining us live to talk about some of those conditions and, of course, take your questions is Dr. Louisa Sastre, a consultant ophthalmologist in medical retina and cataract surgery at Moorfield. Dr. Louisa, happy uh, International Women's Day. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm very good. Thanks, good. Uh, thank you for having me. Prepare to be busy. I've had a number of messages. I always find it really fascinating in terms of the doctors or the topics or the body parts that we talk about on the show and which ones really get people messaging in and, and keen to learn more. And I can tell you, eye health, really, really popular. Teeth uh, and feet and skin. So so you, you're, you're up there, the Doc Louisa. So as I said, lots of people getting in touch. I want to come back to the why, though. As I said, women are greater risk when it comes to eye disease. But why? What's going on? Well, um, the aesthetic conditions, for example, dry eye disease, which uh, women are disproportionately affected by, by eat, they are diagnosed at a younger age and they have uh, more, much more severe symptoms compared to men. Sex hormones seem, mm -hmm. seems to play some, some kind of role. We know that low androgen levels are associated with dry eye. We know the changes in estrogen levels during the menstrual cycle and during menopause also can negatively impact symptoms of dry eye disease. Uh, then we also know that uh, autoimmune disorders, uh, many of them uh, are much more prevalent in women than men, 
can lead to, to, to dry eye disease. So there's, there's a number of reasons for, for, for these. Can you tell us a little bit more about DED, dry eye disease? Um, what are some of the symptoms and what can it, how can it manifest and what can it lead to? Sure. So dry eye disease is something very likely you uh, and myself have experienced at some point here in Dubai mm. because it's a very, very prevalent uh, condition around. Uh, so it's characterized basically but by feeling like there's uh, something in the eye. So patients they tend to say, I'm feeling my eyes. You should not feel your eyes. You should <laughs> talk about your eyes uh, all day through. But if you're feeling your eyes, if you're feeling that you're tired, if you're feeling they're burning, if you're feeling like even like like needles, uh, and these symptoms fluctuate uh, along the day, and eventually uh, can also cause vision, so blurriness, foggy okay. vision. So all of that is related to dry eye. In the environment in which we live, which we're pretty much full day under the air conditioning, you know, into our screens uh, for, for, for hours and hours. Uh, so all of that. Uh, it all contributes. What, what, about, um, what about cataracts? I understand that more women have cataract surgery than men. Is that true? Uh, apparently, yes. <laughs> so, uh, despite the limitations of access to surgery in many countries, mm-hmm. more women have cataract surgery than, than, than men. This may be explained in part because of women's greater ability to express visual com- complaints affect in their lifestyle and by a greater tendency to seek healthcare advice. So, uh, I mean, I'm very happy that uh, I'm a cataract surgeon myself. I uh, love doing cataract surgery and uh, very happy that the women and, of course, men come to, to my clinic to, to discuss about this, this problem, which can be very easily solved. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. World-leading experts in eye care. Moorfields. Driven by your vision. And joining us live on the line from Moorfields is consultant ophthalmologist in medical retina and cataract surgery, Dr. Louisa Sastre with us to answer my questions and yours. So, Dr. Louisa, before we get to the text line, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and you touched on it earlier, female hormones and eye health. Does pregnancy have any effect on our eyes? So, uh, well, yes, definitely. Fatigue um, field changes are well known. Myopic shifts, meaning you can become more short-sighted during pregnancy. Really? Uh, Does it just go back after you deliver or is that you kind of scuppered for a while? Most of the times it goes back, or but sometimes it stays. So, uh, yes, definitely uh, hormones have an, an impact during pregnancy in our, in our vision. Also, dry eye disease can, can worsen during pregnancy and then later during breastfeeding because women tend to get dehydrated while while, uh, breastfeeding. What about the menopause, Dr. Louisa? I'm just feeling like the full gamut of of, of female hormones there. Um, As as we age, do hormones have an impact? Uh, Well, uh, I'm sure you you know well that with menopause uh, we tend to get uh, dry eyes. Mm -hmm. Dry eyes can be... Uh, can be a problem during 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 menopause. And what about treatment for dry eye? Whether it is, as you're talking there, kind of situational about being, um, you know, in city life or to do with pregnancy or menopause. What do you tend to recommend for anyone that's suffering? Yeah. So the, the another one uh, treatment is lubricant drops. That's mm-hmm. the first step in the treatment. 
there are many, many uh, different brands. Uh, most of them have hyaluronic acid uh, in different concentrations, and uh, they should be used uh, not only once or twice a day, but, but way more. Okay. Sometimes uh, up to four, five, six times a day. Wow. And if that is not enough, if that is not enough to control your symptoms, there are other options uh, such as uh, restasis, which is a medication that we use in a drop to stimulate the production of uh, natural tears. Um, and, and these both both options are very very widely used by 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 women in in in, in this country. Louisa, let's go to the text line. Um, No name on this message saying, I've got hooded, droopy eyelids and it's starting to affect my vision. Is this something Uh for a plastic surgeon or an eye doctor? Um, What does this sound like and what would you tend to recommend? So I would definitely recommend you come to see one of my colleagues, the ocular plastic surgeon. So we have a specialty in, in, in ophthalmology, which is called oculoplastic. And those are ophthalmologists taking care of the eyelids, and because the eyelids, you know, they, they have a so the they, they they cover the eyeball, uh, and so when when an uh, ocular plastic surgeon takes care of the eyelid, they tend to remember better that under the eyelid there's an eyeball that can can be affected mm-hmm. by uh, the treatment you're proposing for that eyelid. Okay, so I definitely recommend you come to see one of my colleagues. Uh, and yes, droopy eyelids uh, may need uh, surgery, but may not need it, may be treated uh, with um, medical treatment. Okay. So That's interesting because when you, when you think about droopy eyelids, I immediately think about, you know, someone, about the aesthetics, about someone wanting to look younger, not necessarily about the impact it might have on, I guess, your, your range of vision, you know, just how much of that eyeball is able to access the world around it so and as you rightly say working with a doctor who understands the importance of preserving and maintaining that vision um, is absolutely crucial really hope that helps no name Um, and Tamira saying hi both good timing I've got my first adult eye test this weekend I'm 33 and I'm feeling really anxious about it I've had pretty good eyesight all my life but I have started to notice that I can't read things as far as where as I used to or make out details like faces from a distance I'm freaking out Oh, no. So everything no. I've heard about aging eyesight only suggests near vision changes. Um, please put my mind at ease. Oh, Samira, don't freak out. Louisa, anything you can say to put <laughs> Samira's mind at ease? Please, please, uh, don't freak out. Just come to see us. We do a vision test. I mean, uh, you might have become a bit short-sighted. And or you might just be having a bit of dry eye that, if not properly treated, might be robbing a bit of uh, vision in, in, in moments such as driving at night mm-hmm. when we're more tired. So uh, please come to see us. Any of our excellent optometrists will we'll do a, a proper eye test and we'll find out uh, what's going on. Thanks. I don't think being 33, you're going to have... Um, well, definitely not presbyopia. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems more of a bit of myopia, maybe. 
hope that helps there. Um, a message is saying, are drooping eyelids covered by most insurance? I have no idea. Um, but you know what? If you give Moorfields a call, um, we did. We took our kids recently. They're so, so helpful on, on the phone line in terms of being able to advise about insurances and experts as well. So I will send you the number there just so you can clarify that with the team. And, and last question, and I know you've got a brilliant paediatric department there who I think Nazarene needs to see. But Nazarene's saying, our daughter is five months old and I've noticed her eyes are fixed in different spots. Um, she's saying, I'm wondering if there's anything to do to bring her eyes to move together or is this a non-issue that she will grow out of? So if there is any doubt of whether your child has a misalignment in the eyes, you should definitely come to see uh, one of our excellent uh, pediatric and strabismus specialists. Uh, this is a very important thing. Uh, it's a major issue, I would say, for a child. So uh, if you have the slightest doubt, indeed, uh, the recommendation is for any child to have their first vision test at around age three or definitely before age five. Okay, that's a crucial moment in the development of the vision and age three is a perfect time to take your child to, to do their first vision test with, uh, with one of our pediatric ophthalmologists. And obviously, if there's anything that comes up before that, you can help there too. Dr. Louisa, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're very, very busy there in Wiffle, so I do appreciate you taking the time to shed some light on the issues that some women are facing with eye health and also put some minds at ease for listeners today. Dr. Louisa speaking to us there from Moorfield Eye Hospital here in Dubai, where she's a consultant ophthalmologist. If you do want the details, as I said, the phone line is incredibly helpful for making sure you're matched with the right expert and indeed they can guide you through some of the insurance process as well. Just drop me a message, just, I don't know, say I. Send an I emoji and I will send you the link. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us live in the studio from Morsley Health is specialist psychiatrist Dr. Madonna Yanni. She's got extensive experience in treating women experiencing mild to severe mental illness. And thank you for being with us today. It is actually a topic that's come up in a number of our discussions so far, wanting to raise awareness around postnatal depression, mm-hmm. um, around uh, issues around menopause and the mental side mm-hmm. of that. So I wondered if you'd be able to touch on us, Dr. Yanni, some of the common mental health challenges that women face and how they might differ from those faced by men. Um, thank you for having me You're today, very Helen. very welcome. Um, it's a great opportunity to talk more about mental health and especially in women. Um, so what we know that one in five women um, do have common mental health problem at some point of their lives. And they are more prone to mood disorders and anxiety disorders more than men. And the reason to that is not known exactly, but we suspect um, things that happen in the body. So biological, as you just said, things like the hormonal changes Mm -hmm. every month, the menstrual cycle, going through pregnancy, going through uh, postpartum periods and going through menopause. So all these changes affect mood. Um, also on psychosocial aspects, what we know... What do you mean by that? Oh, so, so by, by psychosocial aspect, I mean things that happen in day-to-day life. Um, so women are more uh, prone to be carers for mm-hmm. someone who is not well, and, and that in itself put them under stress mm-hmm. of being anxious, of being burned out. 
Um, in times of wars and poverty, the personal safety of women is something that um, can be really, really uh, an issue threat. of concern, mm -hmm. of course. Um, women, especially at times of isolation, can be more prone to domestic violence or, or sexual abuse. And all of these factors together with the changes in hormones, the, the, the biological aspect of things in the body, uh, make women more prone. I think, uh, I think unfortunately, there's um, still some still a huge amount of stigma around mental Please. health and getting and getting getting treatment for it. But especially when it comes to so-called women's issues, and I'm going to use um, I'm going to use PMT, so kind of around, you know that kind of menstrual cycle as a, as a example here. Mm -hmm. It's so quickly diminished and used as a bit of a joke. Oh, you know, it's that time of the month. Oh, oh she's moody. Whereas actually, it can be hugely, hugely, da hugely damaging oh. and just not taken seriously enough. And again, in that post-birth period, we had a message saying, please raise awareness for postnatal depression. And as I said earlier, it's something I suffered with after my second one. And I I'm, I'm, was lucky enough to be able to know where to go for help and mm -hmm. take medication. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's everything has, you know, is, is, all, is all great. And I'm very open and happy to talk about it because I wish I'd known more people who were open about it. So I would have felt a bit more normal about it all, to be yes. honest. And I wondered if you could perhaps talk a little bit around the motherhood piece, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of some of the signs that a new mum might be struggling of, you know, whether it's the so-called baby blues, not mm -hmm. a term I, uh, mm -hmm. I particularly enjoy, or something that perhaps would need a bit more expert help. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Really. And um, thank you for opening this uh, part of stigma, because women are stigmatized. Stigma in mental health is for women and men, but... Women with substance use issues, with mood disorders, as you rightfully said, things like, oh, she's being hormonal, she's being moody. It, it pains me uh, to hear these expressions. And when it comes to postpartum disorders in general, and by postpartum we mean things around the, uh, the, the duration of pregnancy and delivery, the stigma is the highest because... There is an assumption that this is, these are happy times. So Absolutely. Women do come to us saying, I should be happy. So they feel guilty about feeling unwell, mm -hmm. which takes a lot of time to realize. So they seek help quite late. And um, to your question, so there are differences between baby blues and having postpartum depression or more severe form postpartum psychosis. So blues happen in half of women so it's it's you become more tearful more emotional and it's a natural result of the changes in the hormones happen after delivery but usually it fades away within days maximum weeks but in postpartum depression which happens in 10 to 15 out of 100 women one in 10 than, women and you know what it's probably higher than that it probably is uh, I, I think I agree with you because God knows how many are struggling. do mm -hmm. seek help. Mm -hmm. And in in that and how it's different from the blues, that it's longer and more severe. Mm -hmm. So um, someone who just delivered would stay two weeks or more, having persistently low mood, quite irritable, having difficulty in sleep and appetite, difficulty engaging with others, with the baby, difficulty carrying on with day-to-day -day activities and day-to-day -day life, they become more isolated. And as I said, there is a theme of guilt Massively. happening there. I'm not a good enough mother. I thought this would come naturally. Yes. Everyone else is enjoying themselves. Yes. Look at so-and-so who just gave birth and they look so happy, etc., etc., etc. This narrative is really 
really damaging. It is. Um, something that I wanted to raise with you, and I ask you this as a psychiatrist, is awareness around family doctors and GPs around women's mental health and just how seriously it's taken there. So, you know, it takes a, I think it takes a lot for a woman to go to her doctor and mm-hmm. say, I'm not feeling well mm-hmm. mentally only then to perhaps be confronted by someone who might not be trained in that area or know how to refer properly. Do you feel like that's improving or is access still quite problematic? Well, um, it's it's a very important point that you raise and I hope maybe talking here today would raise more awareness around that. Um, it, it In college now, in, in medical education, I'm involved in that. I can see that uh, mental health is becoming a, a, a some vital part of the training of any undergraduate doctor in the medical school. But still, I think more pragmatic approach, having surveys to women. So we don't have to wait for someone to, to mm-hmm. come up and, and struggle with all these feelings. Maybe giving out a survey, noticing things. Um, and not only n- doctors, also nurses who are the first responders I think to women. I think that's a real obstacle here in this part of the world because mm. when I look at you know friends back home in the UK, they have health visitors who mm-hmm. come to the house and check on baby, check on mum. Mm-hmm. Whereas the onus is very much on you here to go into the clinic yes. to seek help rather than someone coming in. So I'm just checking in and how's baby latching and how are you feeling and checking out that the home is okay. Yes. Um, whereas... It feels like something else that's on the to-do list as a, as a new parent. You're like, well, I've got X, Y, Z to do. And, you know, the baby should come first. I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I'm not that important in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about doing things somewhat differently. Yes. And then onto the menopause, because, you know, not every woman is going to give birth, but certainly every woman listening today is going to go through the menopause. Yes. And I feel like, you know, thank goodness it's a conversation that's being spoken about more and more, certainly in the last year or so. And we talk a lot about the physical side, you know, the the hot the hot flushes mm-hmm. and you know also you know libido and you know all of all of the physical symptoms. But for women that I know that have been through it, it's been the mental symptoms that have been the most distressing. Yes, and I wonder yes. if you heard similar. Of course. So again, mood disorders and anxiety are more and more in in at that age and and in women who experience menopause. And um, I just came across actually a paper a few days back. Um, it's American study about women in menopause who uh, have problems with bladder control, which is a very common problem happen. And they notice that they have very high rate of anxiety and depression, and they never report it. Well, again, it comes back to that shame and stigma. Exactly. About not feeling feminine or not, you know, worrying about getting older. That's so, that's so, so sad. Because if you don't, how on earth are you going to have something addressed that could be fairly easily fixed if if you're in a position to reach out? And and here is a a very important part is the loved ones. So having a circle of people, maybe I wouldn't be able to go and seek help. Maybe I'm too depressed and so tired Mm -hmm. to get help. But maybe... Um, and maybe this is part of our awareness that if we notice signs, there are warning signs let's to any illness. Let's unpack that a little bit mm-hmm. for any partners or friends listening mm-hmm. today. And they they might be listening thinking, OK, they're actually I do have someone in mind on this. Um, what are some of the things you should be looking out for? Those red flags, doctor. So things like, as I said earlier, you know, all of us have those bad days, right? So we have those slow mood, we have those anxiety days. But when it last for weeks Mm -hmm. when someone becomes very low in themselves they changed they are isolated their sleep changes their appetite changes things that they used to do easily before suddenly start to be a burden to them and that happens for consistently most of the day almost every day for some time 
that's a warning sign that maybe that person needs help. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to offer support around that because very rare we ask each other or say things like, I'm worried about you. How are you today? How do you really feel? Maybe we think of that as intrusive. Um, but maybe one of the blessings in this part of the world, people have their families around and, and you know, we can really enjoy some friendships. And and I think it's important to have this kind of quality, uh-huh. yeah, to, to ask, to be kind enough to ask and offer support and help. Um, a message here, uh, no name on it, and of course you can always contact us anonymously if you prefer um, on 4001, saying, what does the doctor recommend for anxiety, re-supplements, medication and other? So mm. this is, you're obviously a special psychiatrist, yeah. so you are able to um, prescribe. Yeah. Um, when do you find medication particularly useful? Well, usually we tend to do a comprehensive assessment first. So it's, it's very important to have that person coming to us, coming to the services, having like proper assessment. But in general, if someone very anxious and they are developing what we call generalized anxiety disorder or similar, something that's impairing their day-to-day life, mm-hmm. what we tend to do, we approach this holistically. So it's not only medication. Medications is part of it and can be part of it, but also talking therapy is very important part. Um in general, I wouldn't say supplements. There is not much evidence of certain supplements, but eating healthy, eating well, making sure your diet is balanced, um, taking enough sunlight as long as we have the good weather now. <laughs> so, but isn't <laughs> it funny? It, 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 no matter, not no matter what topic we're talking about health-wise, but there seem to be these kind of common themes that run through, which is, and it's the basic stuff that we forget. Yes. It's the sleep, it's the hydration, yes. it's good diet and yeah as you know we're basically sophisticated houseplants who need to talk about our feelings from time to time <laughs> and, but we do forget that especially we you know we're in the throes of you know new parenthood or a stressful yes. career yes um you know or you know we're talking about menopause or women who might be caring for their children but they might be caring for their parents as well yes and you know i think it's we joke a lot about you know more men never go to the doctors i think a lot of women probably don't prioritize their health as much as they should either I agree with you. And that's why I always, you know, we always say try to find self-care in the midst of a busy day. Don't think of yourself as a superwoman. And what, it's something that we're kind of raised. What, what, what are some of the things that you do, Dr. Madonna, for self-care? Uh, Go on. Uh, <laughs> for me, reading a book, having a time for myself, going for a walk. I think the society somehow pressurizes us to be always in the do mode. You have to do something. You have to be running after something. Yes. You know, happiness is a goal. But it's not. We need to be more in a B mode, you know. Oh, I love that. I think there is this kind of like hustle hard culture at the minute. Like, you know, go, go, go. Yes. Like, why can we not just... There's a, there's a, lot, there's a lot to be... Um, there's a lot to be said for that, that rest phase. Yes. And, and that's now it's mindfulness and it's evidence-based. It's helpful in regulating emotions into boosting your mood whether we have mental health issue or no it's something that again would um, empower us to have more to be more mentally well in general what lastly what advice would you have for any woman today who might be hesitant to seek help Mm -hmm. for their mental health please do seek help um you're very important you're doing a lot you're someone's friend you're someone's daughter you're someone's sister you're someone's partner you're someone's mother and if not any of these, you're you. And you are very important. So 
if you know someone or you yourself struggling, um, there are a lot of mental health services around the country. Uh, nowadays, I work for Maudsley Health and we offer comprehensive assessments, support, variety of therapy. So many people, I think the stigma is coming that, oh, if I go see a doctor, I will be prescribed a medication. But it's not that. If you need a medication, you will be prescribed a medication and you will be um, handed off leaflets about it. You will be educated about it. But if not, there are other things. There are mm-hmm. counseling and therapy um, because there are a lot of things happening now in our life. So it could be the best thing you ever do. Thank you yes. so much, Dr. Madonna. I really, really do appreciate your time today. And Thank happy you. International Women's Day. To you too, Helen. <laughs> Thank you. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. So here's what I want to know from you this afternoon. Who or what is your pet named after? We have Jarvis Cocker Spaniel. Um, for any music fans, we'll get that. Lucy, we were we were her third home, so she was, I don't even know, I think she had a few different names, but we didn't choose Lucy, but it does suit her very much. Let me know this for your chance to go into the draw and win an amazing prize. We've got three months supply of Prina Pro Plan pet food. We've got toys, supplements, treats and more. Um, Evie, says Adina, named after my kid's favourite Pokemon character. Uh, a Yorkie Pom puppy is called Marley. Mum named Molly, dad called Marco. Ah, clever. Dave was named Dave because I've always wanted to have a dog called Dave. <laughs> That's from G. There's no right or wrong. I'm just being a bit nosy. Let me know yours on 4001. And joining us live in the studio to sort out your social life for you, the family, including your fairy friend, is Louise Nicholl from Festival. We all have a good get together. And now, yes, your pets can go to It's Dubai's first ever dog-friendly food festival. It's taking place on the 18th and 19th of March at ISD The Square, Dubai Sports City. So here's what I want to know from you, Louise. Yes, Helen. What pets are in your menagerie and what are they called? Well, we have a King Charles Cavalier called Harper because in a former life I edited a magazine called Harper's Bazaar. Oh, you're bringing your work home. Yeah, I brought my work home. Um, but it does suit her, the name Harper. So we have Harper and then we have a cockatiel called Zach, who we are his multiple home. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. So we inherited... How, how long do cockatiels live? Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> No, he's been passed around. He's very noisy. But in our family with the three kids, it just blends into the background. Yeah, tell so me he, about it. he doesn't bother us. And on it's not very politically correct, particularly on International Women's Day, but he's an excellent wolf whistler. Is he now? He is. And when you walk past him in the morning and you get a little wolf whistle, it's quite validating. A little, little pep in the step. Yeah, as you, as you it leave is. Like, oh, thanks, Zach. Send Zach my way <laughs> when I need a confidence boost. Um, so you could be taking Harper to Festival. Now, the name, as, as it suggests, Lots of food going on. Talk Lots to us about what's in store. So it is Dubai's first dog-friendly food festival. So it's a huge gathering in Sports City. I know the organisers are hoping for sort of two, 3,000 people Whoa. a day. Yeah, over, over two days, there's live music, plenty, plenty of food stations offering all kinds of cuisines, Vietnamese, bao buns, pizza, ice cream. You've got Vietnamese foodies there, which is one of my favourite Favourite, favourite people in Dubai. Lily, who started it, is just the loveliest woman. But the food is phenomenal. Phenomenal. So, phenomenal. (laughs) Got it. So, Vietnamese... 
pins of pizza. Yeah. Okay, here, what about what about the dogs? Is there going to be food for dogs, Louise? There will be food for dogs. There will also be shopping retail opportunities for dogs. <laughs> There's a mini market with lots of stores, lots of homegrown brands selling pet accessories and other gorgeous things to buy for your dogs. Now, it is dogs only. I should make that clear. Well, I thought, you, you never yeah. know what might come along in Dubai. You say pet friendly, you could be getting, <laughs> you could be getting some exotics and all no sorts. Tigers, so, just no tigers, just dogs. And what about... Um, I guess, things for them to do because, you know, they need to be entertained as well exactly. as us. Well, we have a lot. So the event starts each day at one o'clock. It goes through till 11 p.m. We're conscious for the first couple of hours it might be a little hot. There's a lot of shade, plenty of shade, plenty of water stations for the dogs. Good, good. So the dogs will be totally fine in those earlier hours. The humans can enjoy the food. It's fully licensed. There's live music throughout the day oh, and the fantastic. evening. Yeah. And then we have free dog training classes each day. Oh, right. Now... And I send, I'm just, just going <laughs> to drop mine off at the gate. You can't, places are filling up fast. I, I have to be honest on that. So you do need to hop onto the website and register for those. The website is Dubai Festival. Festival, not festival. See what we've done there? Dot com. So if you want to get into the dog training classes, sign up there. There is, I think they're between two and three each day. Okay, brilliant. And this is with um, Olivia Zuppi as well. Yeah. So very, very... Oh, a very experienced dog trainer. Really the best in Dubai, I think, according to those that know. In the know. Yeah. Okay, so Olivia Zoppy there is going to be doing some dog training. But yeah, if you do, if you want the website, by the way, just send me um, the word pet and I will reply with the link so you can sign up for those free classes. Amazing. Um, there's some dog show classes as well? There is. Now, this is the bit that I am most excited about because secretly I do want to be Claire Balding and host Crafts. <laughs> uh, and in the absence of that, we are having our own dog show. <gasps> Okay, but what, what categories? Crufts, uh-huh. It's a little more light-hearted. It's for fun. Everyone is welcome to enter and to enjoy it. And we have some really fun categories. So we have things like loveliest lass on International Women's Day. That's good. a good one. Females only for that one, I'm afraid, gents. Quickest sit. <laughs> Hands on the buzzers for that one. Wouldn't be mine. Waggiest tail. Oh. Best rescue dog. And we're looking for the bond between the owner and the dog and their overall happiness and just really a reflection of how their life has been changed since being rescued. That's gorgeous. Anything for the seniors? For the seniors, we do. We have golden oldies, Helen. (gasps) Golden oldies. If you're over 10, you may enter that. That could be Jarvis Cocker Spaniel. I feel in dog ears. We may be getting there. Are you about, (laughs) I've got some rosettes, prizes. We have rosettes. The first four in each category has a rosette and the winner goes into a draw to win some incredible prizes. In fact, no, I don't think they go into a draw. I think they win some incredible prizes. We have hotel stays, we have dinners, we have incredible things, Um, incredible prizes. One category that I'm very excited about and I would encourage extreme effort in this, if I may, best dressed. (laughs) Oh, guys. If everyone could really make an effort for that one, I'd be most grateful. Are you going to get to do some judging on this? No, we we have expert judges. That's for sure. It's not me. You can't bribe me. I I can see that you're thinking about... Well, I'm just thinking that Jarvis (laughs) would really suit a rosette for handsomest hound or golden oldie. He must must be entered. He is the dog version of Colin Farrell. He's a very striking man. So, um, okay, this is is all good information. There's also an agility course. We're going to be speaking to the team around that in in a few minutes as well. Um, Message here saying, is it ticketed? Great question. So how to how to find out more, Louise? It is ticketed. So tickets are available on Platinum List. They are 70 dirhams for a day or 120 for both days. Now, we do hope that people will buy tickets in advance to avoid queuing. Yeah, good idea. If you've ever been in a queue with your dog, you may understand that that's probably not an ideal situation mm-hmm. to be in. So we would advise people to buy tickets in advance 
Dogs also need to have their pet passport with them. They need to be fully vaccinated. If you are unsure of this, please visit Dog Venture HQ in Alcoz. We've teamed up with them. They can stamp your pet passport. They can give the checks. So again, so that you can breeze through that queue because we would like everyone to come in efficiently. And happily, waggiest tails at the ready. And now there is one other fee. If you would like to enter the dog show classes, they are limited to 20 places Mm -hmm. per class. And there is a fee of 20 dirhams 100% of which is being donated to the Rack Animal Welfare Centre for the amazing work they do so by entering not only are you in the chance for a rosette but you're also supporting a really fantastic cause Oh that was absolutely fantastic now the website again is Dubai Festival as we said food live music kids zones I I want to see some of these winners. And everyone who buys a ticket enters the grand prize draw where they can win a one-night stay at Casa Al Sarab for two. I know. A boat cruise with your dog from Blue Safari and various other. I know. Louise, have an amazing weekend. It sounds absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to try my very best to come along with probably not both dogs. I think I think Jarvis is the one I've got my eyes on the prize for. Handsome hound, Handsome golden oldie, golden oldie, pretty waggy as we well. We have most like their owner. <laughs> no, if you, you do Nick, your... Nick, Nick could grow a pretty significant beard in, in a week's Best time. Best poor I... shaker. Uh, maybe not. Anything else? Precious puppies too old. That's it's for the little, old, little ones. Guys, this sounds brilliant. If you do want their website, send me the word pet. I will send it your way so you can send it. Louise Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. Have a brilliant, brilliant weekend ahead. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. I love a busy studio. I love fellow animal lovers and joining us now. The co-founders of Tummy, we've got Abud Nandi joining us. They are very much involved in the coming festival um, and looking at the agility there. Um, I'd love to find out a little bit more about Tummy though. Abud, can you tell us, tell us more about what you've been up to over there? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having us, You're Helen. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to represent the Dubai Festival. It's, uh, it sounds so, like it's going to be a great weekend, by the way. Oh, we're it so is. excited. I'm not we're so I'm, excited. And you guys are there. We've got a very much nutrition hat on, but you're also looking at agility. Tell us a bit about the philosophy behind Tummy and where it all started. Absolutely. So I started, uh, Tommy started around a year ago uh, as a fresh pet food manufacturer. So we basically uh, manufacture fresh pet food out of the kitchen for your dog, basically. Ultimately, we believe that what goes into your dog's stomach is super important. But we, what we've com- come to realize is you can't single that out while not ensuring that your pet is mentally f- and phys- mentally and physically stimulated, mm-hmm. and which is where the agility bit comes in. Oh, so it's like a 360 approach to your dog's wellness. Exactly. We like to look at it as if we look at our own health. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if we just go on one diet, but are you know, sat uh, on chairs all day, every day with zero exercise or zero actual mental simulation, then of course we're not going to see a uh, you know, substantial improvement in our health. We want the waggiest dog tails possible. Exactly. Um, and with, sorry. No, with, no, no, go on. With agility, I think, because I, uh, you know, we like to live by something which is a, uh, you know, a tired dog is a happy and a healthy so dog true. and a stimulated dog is a happy and a healthy dog. So why I think agility and we don't want it to be daunting for people to think what they see on TV and these, you know, these championships that happen. We want to make it a bit more welcoming to all mm. dogs of all sizes and all owners and all pet parents, no matter you know who or what. I want to know what pets you have in your life. Andy, tell us about <laughs> your menagerie. My favorite question. So I have Lucy. She's my... I have a Lucy too. Really? 
yeah. Oh, she's what's a, your Lucy? She's a rescue, uh, so she's mixed breed, but I like to call her purebred good girl. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. And I have Noah, her little brother, who is a Cavalier King Charles. And did you choose the names, or did they come named? They came. So Noah was not named by me, and Lucy was not named by me. But she has a bit of reactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a joke, I say sh- her name is Lucy, short for Lucifer. But so we say a- the same about <laughs> ours. <laughs> Lucy has names that are like Lucy, Lucy, Loose Goose, Coose, Coose, Lucifer. Exactly. Uh, Lucy go, Lou. Oh, go, Lucy Lou. Exactly. It's endless. And what about you? So I have two as well. I have Tomo. Tomo, Tomo. which Tomo is a Shiba Inu. He's a, he's a rascal. He's, a, <laughs> he's just brilliant. Tomo's, Tomo comes from the, the word Tomodachi in Japanese, which means friend. Oh, that's beautiful. You can't win the prize, though. I'm sorry. It's a great answer, but you're not eligible to win. (laughs) Tomo's going to be distracted Mm. uh, following all the women around. So I don't think think he's... He's a rascal. I love it. Let's talk about the agility side, because as you say, I think there are a few kind of misconceptions about it. We see these dog shows on TV and there's like incredible exhibits of skill mm-hmm. on t- talent shows and YouTube and things. And under your training, um, you're finishing your training and certification yeah. uh, with Paul Dog. It's an amazing, amazing veteran in that kind of canine agility field. Why did you p- want to take an interest in this yourself, personally and professionally? What are the dogs getting out of it? I think personally, this has been my whole life, really, since really? I was a baby. My first, so my first Cavalier, actually from when I was five, and he died when I was a 20 years old. Oh so my he goodness, lived my you grew whole... up together. Exactly, my best friend. Um, but why agility, I think, is so, so important is because it encapsulates all of the facets which are actually good for the dog, but not only our dogs, but for us. Mm-hmm. The bond that we create throughout going through these, you know, the courses, like a dog won't be able to actually complete the agility course without us. And we're creating this trust and this bond that, you know, I love to see it on their faces. When I tried the first time with Lucy, with Paul, I mean, at the end of it, you see her eyes brighten up and she's like, she's like, Mom, Mom, I did it. I did it. I did something. Exactly. And that accomplishment, especially for confidence building, for trust um, and for, I mean, the number one of importance is the physical exercise. So they're building lean muscles, going up the ramps, these, you know, the the obstacles, the inclinations, but then also the cardiovascular because they're trying to get their final destination and the reward as fast as possible by going through all of these obstacles so it's so so good because agility by definition is just changing our body's position as fast as possible and as efficiently as possible so we're going to see some of this perhaps not at a professional level over <laughs> over the, the festival weekend tell us a little bit about your involvement on on that event and what uh, what are you going to be doing some judging on the day Maybe. We are. We are, and we also have a live cooking station for dogs. Really? So you can come live by. Live cooking station? Come customize their food. You asked really? this question before. Yeah, we've done it. We, okay, well, can, can we talk Island. ingredients? What, what's going to be on offer? Um, you will mistake it for ingredients that you would want to eat. Is sweet potatoes, lean protein, um, and all kinds of different vegetables, basically. Okay, I'm getting hungry. Is that weird? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. I eat, we eat from the Ex- same food every exactly. day. Exactly. So our uh, our MVP chef, his name is Chef Grenier. He's our head of all production. And we he makes the exact same meals using the exact same ingredients for us. That's how we have our lunch every day. There you go. <laughs> this is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. 
It is all about your animals on the show this afternoon, from where to go and what to eat to winning you some prizes as well. I have to say, I'm loving the messages on where your pets got their names. Um, Roshni is saying Bailey from the movie A Dog's Purpose. No name on this one. So I know your dog's name, but not yours. Saying our border collie cross with a lab puppy is called Dora after the tropical storm Isidore, which rolled in over our wedding day. Also, she seemed like an explorer. Oh. Now, joining us from Tummy, we've got the co-founders, Abud and Andy, with us. We are been talking about agility um, because there is a fantastic opportunity for your your uh, pets to show off their skills the upcoming uh, dog-friendly festival. Um, Andy, we've, I wanted to ask you a little bit about when and how to start training because my dogs are six and ten. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Uh, okay, so the cliche question that we all think that the answer is no to, it's of course you can. Um, and it's not, as, of course it's always more ideal to start training when they're puppies just mm. because it's you know, more solidified throughout their entire lives. But with older dogs, same with my rescue Lucy. I only started, she was already way past adulthood when I adopted her. Um, So I was building back her confidence. And in doing so, whether it's obedience training or athletic training, that still, once you have the confidence and the trust between you and your own dog, that creates the new you know, abilities to learn something new. And it's not just, oh, I can never teach my dog how to sit or a special command. It's knowing that we respect each other's boundaries. Because another thing, it's not only respecting your dog's boundaries, it's your dog respecting your boundaries too. And it's this mutual symbiotic relationship that we have with our loved ones. I mean, my dog is my life. I don't know how I'm going to be cheesy. But. Do you know what? A few weeks on the show, I was asking, because I, I say every morning, I, you know, I take, take my girls to school and the dogs kind of sit in, in the doorway watching us go and I close the door and I'm like bye dogs love you and I was like do other people say they love them to their dogs when you leave the house I yeah I think I think anyone is crazy if they don't to be honest (laughs) thank you I I appreciate that um what about motivation because some dogs are very food motivated and would do anything for you know a high value treat exactly what what do you use two forms of drive that a dog instinctually has which is towards food and then towards prey so with dogs with very high prey drives, a lot of the working breeds have a higher prey drive than smaller breeds. So Belgian Malinois, German Shepherds, they have a very, very high prey drive, you know, compared to a uh, cockapoo or a working. Chihuahua. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that doesn't mean that all dogs, I mean, every dog has the ability to do many, many things when it mm-hmm. comes, maybe not climbing uh, the walls and going into the military, but they can all complete these tasks. And so with motivation, if it's prey drive, then you're using more toys and you're, you know, giving them the reward of the toy, chasing it and actually getting to the reward. Mm-hmm. And with food drive, you would use more lures with actual very, very high value treats and any training. Like what? <laughs> what is Lucy I, like? I always go for just single protein, either a dehydrated chicken or I just prepare chicken little pieces of egg whites she loves as well and also dogs have weird specific little like sometimes loves um carrot peel exactly what's that about lucy's upset i only discovered this not too long ago she's obsessed with beetroots she absolutely (laughs) loves them um you got to find the motivation yeah exactly normally of course you would go for you know pieces of beef pieces of chicken just boiled or cooked very lightly no seasoning 
And that's normally a high value treat for the majority okay. of dogs. But if whatever your dog loves, and you know, and we all know what our dog loves the most. And well, you didn't dislike. know beetroot. So <laughs> well, then, maybe ours loves beetroot. <laughs> but it's knows? just because I never really fed her beets before. <laughs> so so yeah. um, a great question from Ali on the text line. Uh, but maybe one you can help with around um, diet. Saying, do working or active animals need to have a different diet? What do we know about the kind of the research involved in that? And is it, you know, a content in terms of volume or protein breakdown? What do we know? Well, absolutely. And it really depends on the type of activity, whether it's short spurts mm. or whether it's uh, more stamina. Lots of, like us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The same, the same, applies, the same applies to them. Um, so it's really understanding the, 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 the activity itself. Mm. Uh, definitely, the more active the dog, the more calories he needs. And depending on the type of activity, it differs from what calorie is it was it does it come from carbs does it come from proteins or does it come from fat so generally dogs that have need longer term energy require more of a carb uh, content versus short spurts would require more of a higher protein content interesting Um, we have quite a bit of experience dealing with working dogs here in dubai Mm -hmm. um please reach out and we're happy to help there you go i hope that helps um frederica saying great timing i'm currently planning on getting a rescue puppy and eventually want to do agility and trick training i plan to start puppy training classes as soon as it had its jabs but i wondered if your guests could recommend any videos or online training resources that i could watch or read in preparation already joined a few facebook groups and curious how young can the puppy be when i start thank you that's from federica hi federica hi federica so <laughs> let's start with the age you know how 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 old can a puppy be before you start implementing some trick training in agility so training with agility you wouldn't normally start uh, before they're 12 months of age so really once they've reached adulthood and this is say. presumably because of you know functionality in the joints exactly. you wouldn't want to be you know stunting or damaging exactly. them exactly and what about tricks though well with tricks and training i think immediately as to the first day you have your puppy you're already in training knowing Mm. where you can go where's your puppy going to go inside the house where's your puppy going to be when you are uh, away from the home how long can you leave them you're already setting all of those boundaries and that is training Mm -hmm. it is training because you're training your dog here are the rules of our household um, and this is how we kind of go about our lives. This is our structure. So it's not necessarily, but as soon as, uh, I mean, four, eight, eight, eight to 12 weeks, I'd say you can already start with potty training, for example, um, which is, of course, I mean, everyone that's gotten a new puppy knows what oh. that is like for a few well, months. Well, I am currently in a position where my husband and children are petitioning for us to have a third a dog. dog. And it's a puppy that's been taken to our vets. And I have to say he is gorgeous oh. i'll show you a photo of roger he oh. is just this roger kind of, roger I love, my, one of my favorite things is dogs with human me names too. i love it me too my old boss had a dog called steve and i was like well that <laughs> that's ridiculous and i met this dog and i was like that could only be a steve well roger they're all named after champagne so the mum is tatty then there's a mo <laughs> there's a and he's roger and I, I understand the need to bring this little boy into his house. You know, the, the mum was found by the road. She was taken to the vet. She gave birth to seven puppies. They need homes, et cetera, et cetera. He's gorgeous. He is, by the way, in demand. We, if I didn't take him, there's going to be five at the very, very really? happy homes that would, would, would love to have him. But it's the puppy training. It's like having a newborn. It takes me back know. to literally those sleepless nights with a newborn baby because you've got to you got to be on it. You have to. They're completely and utterly dependent on oh. you during the first six months. I, you completely. know what? I'm going to show you a picture and you'll be like, yeah, Helen, you need to, you need to 
you need to get him. Oh, but it's very rare for you to show me a doctor think that asking, should I get him and me to say no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. So the, the potty training, as you say, this is the, the kind of the fundamentals. These are the, the building blocks of training. Yeah, just essentially that we're without thinking that, you know, it's this structured, okay, we have this, these specific commands for obedience training and that's what training is. Mm. I think training we do with our dogs all the time, every day, and especially mm. something like socialization. So, you know, especially with rescue dogs, you need to, you know, work on the socialization a lot more than just basic obedience. You know, mm-hmm. my Lucy as well, she learned her basic obedience command before we understood how to, you know, kind of leave distractions and how to avoid reacting to a specific distraction in a multitude of environments. Mm-hmm. So the training is really, it's the entire, it's all of the facets in cap, in, um, kind of accumulated um, um, within the dog. So... What are their boundaries? What are their rules? How do they how do they respond? What you know, kind of the stay, the sit, having those. And I say the word boundaries because that's really it. That's the fundamental importance. Okay, when this is happening, we can't do this. When this is happening, we should be doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of creating those those um, those structures in our household and whenever we are together. It's a family, yeah. yes, especially. And and that's another thing uh, in the society and in, in you know the grand environment that we live in. You know, a dog that is very, very reactive, we shouldn't be letting them off leashes. And if we do in certain environments um, or, you know, kind of enclosed spaces and controlled environments, we should be able to have a good recall and we should be able to have our dog trusting us that when we call them, it's for a reason. Well, let's see if we can help out, Jerry. We've just got a couple of minutes left, but I think this is a really important one and something a lot of people struggle with. Saying, hi, guys, we've got we've had our three year old mixed breed girl since she was eight weeks old. So I know she hasn't been through any trauma, Mm -hmm. but we're really struggling at how reactive she is. Walking at joggers and kids seems to be the main ones. And it's making walking her really stressful. Any insights? What comes to mind there, Andy? Um, so, again, well, now because of the subject matter, I would say agility training is a very, very viable option because with reactivity to this degree. And of course, people always confuse reactivity for aggression. It's mm-hmm. not aggression. They are very, very fearful. They're scared and they're reacting to that fear. They're not just inclined to act aggressively towards something. They're very fearful. So socializing them slowly in different environments. And socializing does not mean going to the dog park and letting all the dogs off. And, you know, it's it's very overwhelming. It can be very daunting for the dog. Um, so something just sitting down, going into a public area and letting the dog get used to being around people, moving objects. And it's it's kind of an extended form of counter conditioning, which is normally, you know, we'll ring the doorbell and if there's no response, we immediately reward. Mm-hmm. It's an extended version of that so that it's not just in one environment at home. We're training this, this specific sound. It's an array of it. So no matter what, all of the distractions, all of the stimuli, uh, stimuli which is happening, me as a person, I get distracted sometimes. It's a lot of noise. I'm it's out in the city. It's tough. So we need to kind of be patient with our dogs and understand that it's a long process. And trust me, me of all people, I really know how hard it is. I genuinely, I empathize with anyone who's dealing with a reactive dog because it is tough. Really hope that helps, Jerry. Andy, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for it. having so us. So people can meet you guys. That you're going to be there with uh, the Tummy Team, cooking up a storm, judging <laughs> some agility at the uh, the festival. It's happening on the 18th and 19th of March. It's Dubai Festival. If you want to get your tickets, it's going to be a great weekend. Thank awesome. you so much for your thank time you for and your expertise. Thank you, Helen. It was such really, a pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.